You know, honor is a a big deal in the Bible. It actually tells us to honor others. And in a season where, man, we were battling a a pandemic, a global pandemic, and those of you who are frontline workers, you were at the front of those battle lines. And so honor is a big deal to me. And so I want just to take a second. I want to ask you, I know it's weird and awkward, right, if you're a guest, but if you're a frontline medical worker, whether you're watching online or you're here at one of our campuses, would you please stand so we as a church can honor you. Come on, get to your feet. Don't be shy. Come on. Thank you very much for your sacrifice. Thank you. Woo! If you're watching online, throw some clappy hands in the chat. Thank you very much. Woo! Thanks again so much for all that you have done for us in this season, and welcome to Northridge Church. We're honored to have you, whether you're watching online or at one of our campuses uh, in person, man, we're excited to have you. Thank you for investing in your spiritual journey this weekend as we look and act more like Jesus Christ each and every day, and I'd encourage you, if you got your phone, you can go ahead and bring it out, or your iPad, or whatever device you might brought. You know, we used to hand out programs where you could write down notes, but it's all digital now, So if you jump into the Northridge app, those notes will be there. You can take them with you. They never go away. And so you can talk about them in your group. And today we're we're starting a brand new series called Be Rich. Be Rich. And I mean, if we're honest, at some level, don't we all wish we were rich? I know you're not supposed to say that, right? Like, you know, you can't shake your head yes to that. The pastor is watching, right, if you do. But I do. Like, I mean, at some level, man, I wish I didn't have to worry about, you know, like the, the things we have to do or how we're going to provide and, and like all the things that go on in our minds, like just to have all our wants and our desires taken care of. Wouldn't that be nice just to, to be rich? In fact, one guy experienced that back in 2002. His name was Jack Whitaker. And Jack, probably like all of us, was a normal, everyday guy. He, he played the lottery in hopes that one day he would be rich, and it happened to him. In 2002, he won $315 million. Whew. I can't even imagine that much money. I'm just going to be honest. Like, that would be awesome. Like, every desire I wanted, every luxury that I wanted to indulge in, I could actually pay for. Whew. That would be nice. And come on, let's be real. If I were to give you $315 million today, you probably wouldn't say no, right? You'd probably buy us all lunch after this service, you know what I'm saying? Garbage plate, right? You know? (laughs) Yikes. Anyway, that wasn't in my notes, so let's go back to my notes, okay? (laughs) But right, like Jack Whitaker, man, he got what we all wished, right? But actually, maybe not, because look at his own words. This is what he says. He says, I wish that I would have torn that ticket up. Wait, what? You just won $315 million, bro, and your wish is that you wouldn't have cashed it in? Why? Like, that doesn't make sense. Why are we all chasing after the very thing that you got, and yet the very thing that we all want, you don't want anymore? He said, it ruined my family. It ruined my relationships. Nobody wanted me anymore. They just wanted my money, and actually, a couple years later, $315 million, he filed for bankruptcy. 
right? But that, isn't that what we want, to be rich? We want to be like the people we see on TV, right? Like Jeff Bezos, he's the old you know, CEO of Amazon, $179 billion net worth. Bill Gates, $111 billion. Mark Zuckerberg, $85 billion. Like, you can't even spend that much money in your lifetime. And, and we kind of desire that, right? Like, okay, if you won't be honest, I will be. After a bad day at work or when my kids are, are just frustrating me or just things aren't going my way, every once in a while, I'll lean over to my wife, Ashley, and I'll just be like, babe, I wish we were filthy rich. You wanna know why? Because like, when I don't wanna go to work or I don't wanna have that meeting, I ain't gonna go. Sorry, like I don't need this money. Like, hey, I, I can pay my bills without this job. Like, wouldn't that be just kind of nice, refreshing? And being rich in our heads, for all of us, it looks a little bit different, right? Because for some of you in a season like 2020, we just came out of it, like we're beginning to be allowed to travel, right? Being rich means like, hey, I can go to a place like this. I recognize on a 14 degree day, that looks even better, right? But just to go on like maybe a two-week vacation, you not have to worry or save up for it, just to put your feet in the sand, and when you want a drink, the waiter brings you a drink, or chicken tenders, or whatever you like. Well, I mean, it's nice. <laughs> I know it's the 11 o'clock service, so y'all, your stomach's growling. Easy. We're almost done. About four hours, we'll get out of here. <laughs> or maybe you're not like a vacation or travel person, but wouldn't it be nice to be rich so you could drive something like this? I have no clue what kind of car that is, but I just want to get behind the steering wheel and be like, <laughs> don't judge me. You all know you want to do the same thing, right? Okay, whatever. You're not a car person. Like, why not, instead of like being on the road, why don't we go on the waters in our, you know, our own private yacht? Wouldn't that sound nice, right? That's a nice small boat. Just cruise the Virgin Islands. Hey, it's me again. Right? Now, let me let you into my world for a second, all right? If I was filthy rich, the very first thing I would do with my money is I would hire a private chef to cook all my meals, and it would look something like this right here. Like, can you imagine waking up every day, breakfast? Oh, here you go, Sir Drew Karshner. Your, your meal is ready. Breakfast, lunch. And the great news is they're really awesome tasting meals, but they're incredibly healthy too, right? Oh, to be rich, right? And here's the great news. I've got great news for everybody. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this, right? And here's my guarantee to you. Here's my promise to you. If you take notes and if you do what I say, I promise you will be rich. Guess you're like, pick the right church today, baby. Let's go. I like this guy. And uh, some of our regulars are like, what is he about to say? But that's my guarantee. If you actually listen over the next three weeks and you do what I say, you will be rich. But here's the catch. The way we define being rich and the way God does are totally different. There's a big gap there. And so today, I'm going to choose God's path rather than culture's path. And so as we dig into this series, as we discover what it truly means to be rich, here's kind of like the, 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 what we're trying to get after here. Here's kind of like the tagline of the series is that being rich isn't about what you have, but it's about what you do with what you have. 
Ultimately, if we desire to, to be rich, it has nothing to do with what we have accumulated here on earth. It has everything to do with what we do with what God has already given us. That's what it means to be rich, and we're going to dive into that deeper and deeper over the three weeks of this series, and we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, your device, you can turn there, and Timothy, kind of weird, right? We would think the book is written by Timothy, but it's not. It's written by the apostle Paul. And Paul, if you don't know much about his life, he was actually a very religious man, a Pharisee, who hated Christianity. Okay, so he was one of the leaders of of throwing Christians in jail until one day on the road to persecute Christians, Jesus interrupted his life and changed his life dramatically. And so he went from a persecutor of Christians to like the leader of the movement, like the elder of elders, the shepherd of shepherds, the pastor of pastors. And so the apostle Paul, for the rest of his life, he went on missionary journeys all around to pour his life into the leaders of the early church. And guess who one of those is? Timothy. He's a young pastor and Paul writes this letter to him. And here he says this in verse 17, he says, teach those who are rich in this world, not to be proud and not to trust in their money. So he starts, he says, hey, Timothy, you got to teach the people you're leading that even if they're rich, not to be proud about what they have, but, but to trust in God. He says, why can't they be proud in it? Because it's so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So the Apostle Paul teaches Timothy to teach the people under his congregation that he's leading. He says, hey, I'm going to teach you some things about what it means to be rich. And the first thing the Apostle Paul teaches Timothy is that being rich can't be defined by fleeting things. Being rich cannot be defined by things that come and go. But here's what's interesting. Isn't that exactly how we define culturally, societally, what richness is? Right? Isn't that how we, I mean, in, in our society today, the rich people have a lot, a lot of income, a lot of things, a lot of homes, right? That's what it means to be rich. But here's what's true about all of those things is they come and they go. Money, you have it sometimes and sometimes you don't, right? It's coming. Even if you keep it for the, your entire life here on earth, eventually you're going to leave this world and guess what doesn't go with you? Those things, because they're fleeting. Paul says, hey, we can't trust in them because they're unreliable. They're coming and they're going. And, 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 and what he ultimately gets at is our definition of being rich is wrong. It's flawed. It's inaccurate to what God sees as rich people. And the the teachings of the apostle Paul here are just echoing what Jesus taught his early disciples. Look at Matthew chapter six. Jesus is speaking here. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So don't go around life trying to get as much as you can and collect as much as you can. Why? Because where malls and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, because it's fleeting, because it's going to come and it's going to go. It is unreliable. And here's what I love. I love when our culture, our society actually begins to discover what the Bible says is true. I love when our our, our world catches up to things that God has been saying long ago, right? Because the Washington Post, here's what it says. It says, evidence shows that most people 
who make it to the top 1% of income earners usually don't stay at the top very long. Why? Because money is fleeting. It's unreliable. But let's dig a little bit deeper into this, right? Tonight's the Super Bowl. And I'm kind of torn, right? I don't know if I want Tom Brady to win his 400th Super Bowl or the next Tom Brady to win his second of probably 400, right? Like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm just going to eat a lot of fattening food and have a good time, right? You with me? But here's what's crazy about the NFL, right? These guys make millions of dollars. They're very high paid for the job that they do. And get this, according to Sports Illustrated, 78% of NFL players, 78% after they're retired for two years, file for bankruptcy. That's ridiculous. Why? Money's fleeting. It's unreliable. It comes and it goes. In the NBA, 60% after five years, right? Okay, let's talk about everyday people who, who, who become rich, like lottery winners. 70% of lottery winners who win millions of dollars file for bankruptcy. And all the world is doing is catching up to what God has already clearly declared, that we don't trust in our money because it comes and it goes, it's fleeting, it's unreliable. And our definition of richness can't be based on those things. The second thing the Apostle Paul teaches us is that being rich, if we want to become rich, it begins when we trust in the one who is rich. So, so again, the Apostle Paul, he teaches Timothy, who teaches his congregation, he says, hey, don't trust in the things of this world, what you can accumulate. Don't trust in your bank account. Don't trust. But don't let your security be there because it will come and go. But you want to know something you can bank on? Oh, yeah, it's God. You can bank on God. Your trust should be in him because he's not fleeting. He never changes. He doesn't come and go. He's always there. And here's what I love about God. God fits under both categories of richness, right? His own category, his own definition, but also the world's. Do you realize that when God creates a new definition, but he didn't do it because he didn't fit or conform to the standards of culture? No, according to culture's definition of richness, God is in that category. In fact, let me show you how rich God is. Psalms 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so if you want to measure God's net worth, just calculate the world's net worth, and that's God. And so if you took like Bezos' billions and Elon Musk's billions and, and you take Mark Zuckerberg's billions and Bill Gates' billions, you don't even scratch the surface of the riches of God. Genesis chapter 14, it says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high. Look at how it describes God, possessor of heaven and earth. You see, when you want to count God's net worth, you don't do it in dollars and cents. You do it in planets and galaxies because he owns it all. He's rich. But here's the thing. Here's the thing you understand is, is God doesn't lack for material possessions. God's not out there like, oh, I just wish I had more. No, actually, he has it all. So he can't actually have more because it's all his. But yet, that's not the thing that makes God rich. Right? According to our world, it would be. According to culture standards, God would be rich. But yet, it's not about what God has. It's about what he does with what he has. 
Because you gotta understand something about God is he doesn't hoard all his riches. In fact, he sacrifices them so you and I can be rich. Look at 2 Corinthians. I love this verse. It's so profound. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is speaking here. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake and my sake, he became poor. So that, through, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You know, that, 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 I'm not sure it fully lands in my head. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. It's so countercultural to what we see in our country and in the world. This, that, that, that God himself would sacrifice his riches, would become poor, would step into poverty. So why? So somebody else could experience his riches. Like read it for yourself. Put it back up on the screen. Like take in those words and realize what it is actually saying. This is mind-blowing because, hey, guess what happens in our culture, right? And, and this is true for everybody, including myself. Like when we, what we use what we have, not to make others richer, but we use our riches, we invest them to make ourselves even more richer, right? That's, that's what culture does. The rich invest their money, why? So they can have more. But God totally takes it a different way and he says, I'm actually gonna invest my money, I'm gonna use it so I can step into poverty so all of us could receive his riches. <sighs> doesn't make sense. And what we see is how generous God is. And what, what God's generosity does is God's generosity is the example or the standard of what it means or what we should follow to be rich. You just got to understand there's two paths to richness that we get to choose which one we're going to follow. There is culture's path, right? And culture says if you want to be rich, you just have to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and you hope that you accumulate enough in this world for culture to label you rich or wealthy. Like that's a path you can take to richness. That's the world's path. Hard part is you might never make it. You might never get there. And even when you do, there's always going to be somebody who has more, who's richer than you. God's path to richness is, is basically, hey, it's, it's not about what you're accumulating. It's about what I've given you and how you're going to leverage it and use it. That will determine whether you're going to be rich. And the great news is it enables of all of us to be rich. And so when we think about God's generosity, it provided for us in two major ways. The first one is just material provision. Right, God's generosity provides for our needs. He's like a dad who wants to take care of his children. And we see this all throughout the scriptures, but I think you see it pretty strongly in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus kind of goes on this teaching rampage where he talks about all these different topics. I mean, like crazy topics and, and simple topics. And one of the topics he talks about is worry. You might say, why worry? Like, why are we talking about worry? Well, guess what we worry a lot about? Money, provision, being able to take care of our families, provide for them. And Jesus, as he talks about worry in Matthew chapter six, he says, hey, you don't need to worry because I'll provide for you. Look what it says. It says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. 
So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He says, put your trust in me, not what you can accumulate. And all these things will be given to you as well. And the point of this passage is God's just saying, I'll provide for you. They call me Jehovah Jireh, which just simply means I'm your provider. And he, he compares us to the grass. He says, you know, the grass that is like beautiful and green and then it's like burnt and dead. It comes and it goes. He says, I provide for the grass. How much more will I provide for you? And then just a chapter later, just really about 10 verses, he, he says this in Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? And so God says, hey, when you're in need, ask. Ask and you shall receive. Here's what God is not saying, just so we're clear. He's not saying every time you ask, you will receive. I think we all know that. We've asked God for some things that maybe he hasn't given us for our own benefit, right? But then he compares us actually to him. He says, you know, we're evil. He, he means we're sinners, right? So he says, even you in your sin, we're all flawed, fallen short of God's standard of perfection. We're sinners. But he says, hey, even us as sinners, as dads and moms, grandparents, aunts and uncles, don't we love to give our kids good gifts? Right? One of the most magical things in my life as a dad is watching my kids open a gift that I've given them and watching them explode in excitement. It's amazing. And as a dad, and I'm sure you as dads, moms, grandparents, we love to give our kids good gifts. And God says, you're sinful. I'm perfect. How much more do I, as your heavenly father, love giving my children gifts? Right? And he's just saying, listen, I'll provide for you. Philippians 4. It says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so God's generosity, as a good, good father, he provides for our material needs, right? And we would think that would be the priority. That would be the area where we need, we, we need the most provision because we, we got to make it through the day. We got to be able to eat and live, right? But that's secondary to the second provision, which is spiritual provision. Because our sin created a huge problem for us, separated us from God, and we couldn't fix it. And yet again, God had to provide for us. And we'll see that provision in, in three verses, really. And what I want you to see is the, the, the words, God didn't hoard what he had, but it's what he did with what he had. John three sixteen, the most famous passage in the entire world. It says, for God so loved the world. So again, it's like a dad loving his children. And out of his love, what did he do? He gave. He was generous with his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God provides for our greatest need and it's not what we eat or, or where we're gonna live. It's really our sin problem. He overcomes it through giving up his one and only son, that through his sacrifice on the cross and through his resurrection, he gives us the victory over. And all we have to do is instead of trusting all the things that the world offers, we just got to trust in him. 
Romans 8, it says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, what did he do? But he gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, God provides for our spiritual needs. He provides for the greatest need, the conquering of sin that we couldn't do, paying a debt that we couldn't pay in our place so that we could live in eternity with Jesus. But not just that, not just eternity, but God also provides for us every single day when it comes to living a godly life. Second Peter, it says, his divine power has given us, there it is again, his generosity has given us everything we need for what? A godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, the very Bible that you have is part of God's provision. He's revealed himself to you so you could know him and so that you could live a godly life, sanctified and growing and looking more like Christ every day. It's through God's material and spiritual provision. Because being rich is really not about what you have. Even though that's what we've labeled it, that's how we've defined it for so long, it really has nothing to do with what you have, but it every, has everything to do with what you're doing with it. And so let's get practical as we begin this journey, as we dig deeper the next couple weeks on this, uh, this concept of being rich. I want to give you a big picture and then two practical steps. The, the big picture is we have to understand before you can pursue true riches, we must know the one who owns it all. I really believe this with, with everything that's in me. You can truly not be rich until you've experienced the riches of Jesus Christ. Right? You cannot be rich until you've stepped into a relationship with a God who sacrificed himself for you and on your behalf and until you trust him with your life, you really can't be rich. You gotta know God's grace and his mercy because out of those riches, it enables us to be rich. And you know, maybe you're here and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. Right? You've been coming maybe for a couple weeks, checking it out, or maybe it's been six months or two years, and you know what? You like Jesus. You like what you've heard about Jesus, but you, 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 you haven't stepped into that trusting relationship where you place your life in his hands, where you stop trusting the things that are around you or what's in your bank account, and you just submit your trust to him saying, God, I want to be rich today, and I know that starts with you, knowing you, walking with you. And if that's you, if I'm describing you, I just encourage you to reach out to us, right? Just go to iwant.info and just say, hey, I, I, I need to know more about Jesus. I've got questions, I've got doubts, I've got concerns, but help me navigate them. We will. Reach out to your campus pastor. Whatever's easiest for you, we want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. But then let's get practical, right? Maybe some of you are here today like, hey, I, I wanna know, I wanna take some small steps of, of what it means to truly be rich. Well, I think the first one might be the hardest one for us. And I think we have to stop focusing on what we have. Right? This is one of our greatest problems is we are consumed with what we have, whether it's a lot or it's a little. And not only are we consumed with what we have, we are consumed with what others have. Right? Social media has created this platform where not only can I know what I have, but I can look and judge and, and think I know what everybody else has. 
And what I do is I compare what I have to what they have. And you know what it's done? It's created a little bit of jealousy. It's created a little bit of envy. And ultimately what it's built in our hearts is a lack of contentment and what God, with what God has given us. You have to understand something today. Everything that you have, every asset, every dollar is not of your own earning, but it's from a gracious, generous God. James says every perfect gift is from above. And so when you look at what you have, we should live in this place where we're so grateful that God would actually give us that, whether it's a little or a lot. Thank you, God, because I didn't earn this, but you've given it to me freely. And if we get to this point where we stop, I'm telling you, God doesn't care what you have, right? I I want you to let that sink in your head. God is not concerned with what you have. Here's why. Because God can make what you have a whole lot if you trust him. God doesn't care. And when we get past focusing on what we have, it leads to the second step where we can actually start leveraging what God has given us where we can use the gifts that he's given us not to bless just us. Sometimes you bless yourself, that's okay. But to bless others as well. To use it to be generous. You know, there's this study done by a guy named Paul Piff. He's a psychology researcher at the, uh, at the California Berkeley. So this is not like a Christian organization. And he went on this like journey, years of research to answer one question. And here's the question that he he wanted to answer. Who's more generous, rich people or poor people? A fascinating study. And over years of research, here's here's where he landed. That actually lower income people, poorer people are more generous than people who have a lot. And it wasn't even close. They gave poor people, lower income people gave 44% more than those who had a lot. But here's the trap we fall into, right? We all do this, I do this, as we create this standard in our life. If I would just get to this level, this level of income, this level of, of, of a promotion, if I could just get here, then I'll be generous. And here's what happens. We actually get there and then we create a new standard. I know I said it here, but if I just get there, then I'll be generous. And we just live in this cycle where we keep creating another standard where we'll be generous and we never actually get to be rich. Because being rich is not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And let me, let me, let me prove it to you. Because maybe the greatest act of generosity I've ever experienced in my life came from the poorest people I've ever met in my life. You see, if you don't know this about our church, over the last five to six years, we've invested in in a village called Mara Mara in the middle of nowhere, Africa. And in my first year of of being the lead pastor here, it was six months into the journey, and our director of outreach came to me. He's like, hey, Drew, you need to pack your bags. We're going to Mara Mara. And I had no clue what Mara Mara was. I was like, is this a beach somewhere? I'm ready. Let's go. But it is this 
remote. And when I say remote, like I'll take you on the journey, right? It's so remote that you get in a plane in Rochester and you fly to a bigger city with a bigger plane, probably like JFK, and you fly from there to about Ethiopia, okay? So you're in Ethiopia. And here's what's crazy about Ethiopia. You actually land the plane. You don't taxi to a gate. You just stop in the middle of the runway. People board on the plane and then you turn around and you fly out from Ethiopia to a place called Chad, Africa. And you're like, oh, we've made it. No, we haven't. We still got a long ways to go. You get in this prop plane, okay? It holds about five people. And honestly, I didn't think we were going to make it in this plane. It's rickety. It's nasty. It's so crazy and, and old. I was actually the co-pilot. So like the steering wheel to the plane was like right there. And I was like, hey, uh, what happens if you die? Like, don't you die on me. Like, no. And then you land that plane and you get this, you get in this place, this, this like desert place. It looks like almost like you just picked up like a, a, a village and, and put it in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, oh, we made it. No, we still haven't made it. Are you serious? Then you get in like this Jeep Hummer vehicle where you ride backwards through like wadis and terrain and you vomit a couple times and it's okay. And then you get to this village. And, and many of you have probably seen it in videos that we've brought back, but to see it with your own eyes, you realize, wow, these people have absolutely nothing. They don't have clean water to drink. Right, today we're gonna go home and brush our teeth and fill our coffee pots, wash our dishes. They would have loved to drink the water you wash your dishes with. That's how nasty and how little they had. And the moment my feet hit the ground in Maramara, guess what happened? They have two donkeys in the village and they brought them down with blankets over them and they elevated us and they basically paraded us into this village where the villagers lined and they screamed and they shouted for us. They took us into the one of the two huts that they had and they brought us fresh peanuts that they had grown. They made us these sorghum donuts that were amazing and then they gave us chicken. And I know chicken, right? We'll go to Chick-fil-A or Wegmans and get a rotisserie chicken and have a lunch. But for them, chicken is something that most villagers have never even tasted. Never even experienced it. And guess what they did? They gave it to me, who eats it every day almost. And you see, practically speaking, the village of Mara Mara was rich because it's not about what you have. It's about what you do and how you leverage and the action you take with what God has given you. And if that's true, if that's truly what it means to biblical richness, if that's the, the definition that God has laid before us of like, hey, here's the richness I want you to ch chase after. I don't care how much you have or what you've accumulated or the houses you live in or the lake house, whatever it is you have. I don't care about that. He says, I want you to chase after being generous and being kind and living out and acting with what you have. If that's truly what being rich is, I have just one question for all of us today. And I actually want this question to haunt you a little bit, to, for you to wrestle with it all week, for it to kind of like slap you upside the head as you walk on Wednesday and Tuesday. I want you to marinate on it and chew on it all week long until we get back here as a church on Sunday morning and dig a little bit deeper. And here's the question. If really being rich is not about what you have, but it's about what you do with what you have, my question for all of us is, are you rich? And I hope at some level, 
And, and maybe I just feel this because it, it hit me hard, but I hope at some level that, that question hits a little bit, right? Where you, your, your gut kind of, your stomach kind of, it just sinks down. You're like, oh man, am I really rich? Have, am I really leveraging and using what God has given me for his glory and his kingdom? Are you rich? Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you're so generous. We don't deserve anything that you've given us, God, and yet you give to us freely. And your son's enough, honestly, God. Like, Jesus is enough. We wouldn't need anything else other than Jesus, and yet you still give us more and more, abundantly more. And so we thank you, God, for that. Help us to wrestle through with that question, to examine our lives and say, God, am I really rich according to your standards? Help us to do that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.